indeed grateful for your presence, especially those who are visiting with us. We are especially grateful that you are here this Lord's Day. As we mentioned at the beginning of this service, this year's theme is the gospel is for all. And some of the verses that you might think about whenever it talks about the importance of the gospel, passages like Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, where Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Or maybe you'll think of passages like Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, where Jesus tells His apostles to go preach the gospel and tell, tells them, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I, for one, am excited about this theme because I think it is important for us to understand what the gospel really is. Because it is God's power unto salvation. So it is something that we need to be highly motivated to understand what the gospel really is. If we are going to be capable of fulfilling the Great Commission, then we also need to understand what the gospel is. Because if we have any misunderstanding about the gospel, then we're not going to be able to accurately preach the gospel. We're not going to be ac accurate in our representation of Christ and the truth of the gospel. And I find it very sad that there is a lot of confusion sometimes about the gospel. Sometimes you might see people who try to boil down the gospel to just three or maybe five or seven items that are just essential to believe. And once we have that boiled down list of just the most basic things, nothing else is really the gospel. And I think that's a shame that we think we can reduce the gospel to just a few items in a numbered list. The gospel is something much bigger and broader than that. And so this year, we are going to try to come to understanding of what the gospel really is. And so this morning, what we're going to begin is asking that very question, what is the gospel? And I believe Paul gives us some clues about what the gospel really is here at the beginning of the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 1, in the first five verses that we heard in our reading just a few moments ago, where Paul says in verse 1 that he Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. That Paul viewed himself and his apostleship very much connected to this idea of the gospel. And that he was to represent the gospel as God's apostle as the Apostle of Jesus Christ, as a servant of Christ. That he was an ambassador for Christ and for God and the Gospel itself. And so as Paul gives us some ideas of what the Gospel is, he uses that word Gospel. And it, as you probably have heard, it means good news. Originally, it was a reward for good news. And so it looked beyond even just the good news itself, it looked to the reward that would be gained because of this good news. 
And so it's oftentimes used as this God's good news to humans, good news as a proclamation from a king. In Mounce's dictionary, he, used, he defines the word gospel. It comes from the Greek word euangelion. And it says the word euangelion was not invented by the gospel writers but was already in use in the Roman world. Euangelion, it referred to an announcement of glad tidings regarding a birthday, rise to power, or decree of the emperor that was to herald the fulfillment of hopes for peace and well-being in all the world. Mark, he's talking about the writer of the Gospel, the second Gospel. Mark redefines this concept of glad tidings by introducing his gospel with the phrase, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, implying that it really is the birth and subsequent actions of Jesus that will change the face of the world in a cosmic way that no earthly king could ever do. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, brings true and lasting well-being and peace to the world in fulfillment of Old Testament hope. There's a lot there, and I wish we could take a lot of time to unpack that statement. There's a lot there, but I think what he's trying to convey to us is that the word gospel, it's not a Bible word per se. It has been used in the Bible, but it is a bigger concept that it was used in secular society. It was a phrase or a word that was used by people in positions of power and great authority like kings or the Roman Caesars. That it was a proclamation that they were saying where a king might send out a herald to surrounding towns and villages to declare victory in war. Or that they might have said that with a message of the king's birthday or something of that regard, that it was just the herald and his proclamation of a king who had great authority and great power. And so I think we find some benefit that this is not just a Bible word per se, but this is something that has a message and while it was oftentimes used by kings, what we can come to expect is that it's going to be used by the king of kings. It's his message. It is his good news of peace and well-being and fulfillment of hope. And so as Paul tells us some things here in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 1, in these opening verses, what we can come to expect is some ideas to be brought out about what this good news really is, this gospel of Jesus Christ. And the first thing that we need to recognize is that Paul says this is God's gospel. It is God's good news. In verse 1, he tells us, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. That this phrase, this gospel, it is God's gospel. It's the gospel that belongs to God. This is God's decree. When we read the Gospel, when we read the Bible, we are reading God's message to us. That we are coming to understand 
how God has interacted and intervened in the world and how God has provided a solution to the world's greatest problem in sin. And that God has taken action and that God has come to give us salvation. That's why Paul would say at verse 16 that he is not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. That the gospel is how God acts and how He saves and how He works. And He is able to give hope because of the gospel. In Romans chapter 15, in Romans chapter 15 and in verse 13, Paul, as he is talking about how Gentiles are able to be saved and that they are unified in the body of Christ, in Romans chapter 15 and in verse 13, he says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That God is able to give hope. He's a God of hope. How does He do that? It's through the message of the Gospel. You continue on in this chapter, in verse 33. He says, Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. And then he takes up that phrase in chapter 16 and in verse 20, this phrase that God is a God of peace. He gives hope and He establishes peace. How does He do that? Through destroying the evil one. In verse 20 of chapter 16, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That God has destroyed Satan. He has taken away the power of Satan. How do we know that? It's through the Gospel. The Gospel is good news of victory, of God's vindication of how God has given us hope and salvation. And the peace of God that comes through the destruction of our enemy. The Gospel contains the message of God's activity and God's work in the world through Jesus Christ. At the end of chapter 16, in verses 25, closing verses of Romans, notice what Paul says. In Romans chapter 16, begin in verse 25. Now to Him who is able to establish you according to My Gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested and by the Scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the eternal God has been made known to all the nations leading to obedience of faith to the only wise God through Jesus Christ be the glory forever. Amen. Paul, he closes the book of Romans with many of the same ideas that he begins with the book of Romans. And that the Gospel is this revealing of a message of how God has interacted in the world and what God has come to do. And it is the only wise God is the one who is able to save us and He has rightly honored and glorified in this Gospel. And so what we need to first set our expectations when we read the Gospel is we need to expect to learn about how God has acted through Jesus Christ in saving us from our sins. 
Secondly, what we learn in Romans chapter 1 and in verse 2 is that the Gospel is very much connected to what Old Testament passages have revealed and prophesied and set up as certain expectations which needed to be fulfilled. If you will go back to Romans chapter 1 and begin reading verse 1 with me and continue on in verse 2, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The gospel didn't just pop up out of thin air. It was this slow unraveling or revealing, if you will, that was taking years and centuries to develop and pull together. That it was this fulfillment of what God's prophets had been saying and what God had been promising throughout years prior. The Gospel is bigger and broader than even just Jesus Himself. We'll talk some more about that. But what we need to come to expect and to realize is that God's prophets and God's Scriptures contained promises from God. And they have the Gospel shows how those promises have been completed. One such promise was made to Abraham. You'll remember that God made three promises to Abraham in that covenant that God established with him. That through Abraham his seed, there would come a blessing to all peoples, all families of the earth would be blessed. And Paul takes up that great theme in Romans chapter 4. In Romans the fourth chapter, and in the first eight verses there, Paul deals with this idea of how we are justified by faith as Abraham was justified. And he shows the connection that the gospel of our salvation, that it has to do with Abraham and how Abraham is an example for us. We're not going to take the time to go through all of those verses in Romans chapter 4 to unpack all of that. But what we need to just recognize is that the gospel is very much connected with what we read in the Old Testament. You'll notice that our Bibles aren't just 27, verse, or 27 books called the New Testament. We also include the 39 books of the Old Testament because they are very much connected with our gospel that we believe and that we profess. Because we, will, we believe that in the New Testament and what Jesus has done, it connects to the Old Testament in some very interesting ways. And so we need to come to expect that God's promise to bless all nations through Abraham is very much connected with the message of the gospel. Paul deals with that in Romans chapter 4 and Romans chapter 9 in some very hard and complex passages of Scripture. But what we need to come to realize is that the Gospel is very much connected with our Old Testament. And the Gospel is good news to all people. Just as God promised Abraham that all families of the earth might be blessed. 
justification and salvation is available to all people. And that's something that Paul really explains here in the book of Romans. And we need to stop and appreciate is very much connected to the Old Testament. Thirdly, what we see is that the Gospel of God, it is a proclamation about God's King and God's Kingdom. And how God has worked through His Son. And it is good news about Jesus Christ. As that idea is unfolding in Romans chapter 1 and in verse 3, concerning His Son, what is the subject of this good news? What is the subject of the Gospel? It's concerning His Son. It's concerning the Christ. The One who is born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. There's the idea of Jesus coming from David and all David and you might be asking, well, who's David? Well, you have to understand the Old Testament, don't you? A little bit. You see, this is going to be a proclamation concerning His Son. It's concerning God's Son. It's concerning God's King who's going to rule and reign over God's kingdom. It's why in the Gospel of Mark, in Mark chapter 1, in Mark chapter 1, Mark begins in verse 1, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That Mark has in view here that the beginning of the Gospel, it really begins before Jesus. <laughs> because he begins with the preaching of John the Baptist. And how John was preaching to prepare people for Jesus. And Jesus continued John's mission. And He preached the Gospel. But Jesus wasn't just like, okay, I'm here. That's not what He did. did In Mark chapter 1 and in verse 14, it says, Now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the Gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus, his message was that the kingdom is approaching. The kingdom of God is approaching. God has a message for you. Believe in the gospel. Repent of your sins. Believe in Jesus Christ. Because the Gospel is about how God has established His kingdom and He has put Jesus on the throne. In the book of 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and in verse 1, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and in verse 1, Paul writes, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you receive, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. 
You see that this is Paul's explanation of what the gospel is really summed up to be. It is the summation of how God has established Jesus. And that Jesus died for our sins, He was buried and He was raised on the third day. And God's gospel is good news because Jesus died and was resurrected for our sins. The gospel provides a solution to sin and to death. Because our King overcame both. It's the message concerning God's Son. But we have to begin to realize and expand our understanding of the Gospel is that God's Gospel... It's a proclamation about what God has done through Jesus, but it is very much connected with God's Word and God's promises that He made before Jesus. And it's also going to involve some things that we have to do as well. Jesus, in His preaching of the Gospel, He told us and told His listeners to repent and believe. And so believing in the Gospel, the Gospel demands a response which we will see in a moment as well. But what we have to realize is that the Gospel is more than just about Jesus. It certainly involves Jesus, but it is a little bit broader than that as well. And Paul, in Romans chapter 1 and in verse 5, he says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all Gentiles for His name's sake. That Jesus Christ and the message of the Gospel, it is to elicit this response that we were talking about. It's more than just about Jesus and accepting bare minimum facts about who Jesus is. The Gospel also requires and promotes and demands a response. It demands a response. The good news about salvation in Jesus Christ is not merely news that one hears and then ignores. The Gospel of God is intended to promote faithful obedience. The obedience of faith, he says in verse 5. That the preaching of the Gospel, the apostles and their message that they shared, it was to bring about a result, the obedience of faith. Because salvation is given to those who believe. That is reiterated time and time again. Just a few verses later, we learn in verse 16 that 
The Gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That this faith, this belief, it is our obedient response. It's not faith alone. It's that we are responding to the message that is preached. Faith itself is a response to the message of and preaching of the Gospel. And what we also learn from Peter in the book of 1 Peter chapter 4, in the book of 1 Peter in the 4th chapter, and in verse 17, Peter, as he is talking about Christians who are suffering for period of time, why they might be suffering, he says in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 17, for it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? This good news, this message of salvation and hope, it is also something that requires obedience. It requires a decision from those who hear it. From those who hear this good news, this message of salvation. What is your response to the Gospel? To hearing uh, this good news in Jesus Christ? In Romans chapter 10, and really the heart of the book of Romans, we learn here in Romans chapter 10 and in verse 9, Paul says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes in Him will not be disappointed. You see, the Gospel is an invitation for you to become an active participant. Will you confess your faith. The idea of faith, it comes from the Greek word pistis, and it is not just this idea of, a, of accepting certain things as true or not, that it is really the idea of fidelity. The Marine Corps, their motto is simplify, always loyal, always faithful. That, is, that shouldn't just be their motto. It should be the motto of Christians, I believe. That we are always faithful. That we are ever faithful. That no matter what circumstance might come about, we are going to be faithful and loyal to God. That's what the Gospel promotes. And not just promotes, it demands it. That this... Faith is a loyalty and fidelity that gives our allegiance to Jesus Christ. That He is our King. 
And whenever we make that confession that he talks about here in Romans chapter 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, that we are recognizing Jesus to be our King, and we are submitting to Him, giving Him our life and our heart. We have the promise of salvation when we do so. And even more than confessing our sins or in confessing our faith, we also are invited to participate in the Gospel. In Romans chapter 6, Remember what Paul says in Romans chapter 6 and in verse 3. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? That when we are baptized, immersed in water, We are joining ourselves with our King. We are joining ourselves with our King who went to the cross and died for us. We put the old man of sin to death. We crucify that old person of sin. And we are raised to walk in newness of life. He goes on in verse 5, For if we become united with Him, in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. What's the conclusion there? Six. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, but we would no longer be slaves to sin. The Gospel it promotes a response of faith, obedience, and participation in Christ. Christ went to the cross and He died for you. The Gospel is an invitation for you to come to Him. And that you put yourself and you take up your cross. You put that old man of sin to death. And you be raised to walk in newness of life. Are you ready to give your life in obedience to the King? Because you can begin today by obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you would come in faith, confessing your faith in Christ, repenting of your sin, being immersed in water, you can come to have the kind of faith that the Gospel intends to develop and to create in you. The Gospel of God is filled with blessings to receive if you will obey the Lord. Yet if you do not obey the Gospel of God, what is going to be your defense on the Day of Judgment? What will you say to the Lord? 
You just didn't have enough courage and faith to make that commitment? Do you think that's going to go over well? If you just come up with some excuse when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, how do you think that will fare? Gospel is God's message and invitation to you so that you can be ready for the day of judgment. Will you respond in faith and obedience to the gospel of God today? We encourage you to do so. If we can help you in some way this morning, would you let it be known as we stand and as we sing?